Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's take a moment to pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This Shabbat has a special name. It's called Shabbat Hagadol. And if you're in the sanctuary, you might turn to someone who's sitting nearby and just say that out loud to them. It's Shabbat Hagadol. It's the great Shabbat. And that's the special name of the Shabbat before Pesach, before Passover. One possible reason for the name is that the Haftor portion from Malachi, the prophetic portion that we read today, speaks of the great day of God, and that's a reference to the coming of Messiah. There's another reason that's, that's given about why it's called Shabbat Hagadol, and that's in many synagogues, according to their tradition, on this Shabbat, the rabbi brings a long sermon, a very long, a really, really, really long sermon, one that goes for hours and hours and hours. Well, we're not going to go for that version. We're going to go for the first reason to focus on Messiah. So that's what we're going to do today. And that's what we like to do when we gather together. We're going to look at the Haftorah again, Malachi chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Behold, the Lord says, I'll send to you Elijah, Eliyahu, the prophet, before the coming of the great Haggadol and awesome Hanorah, day of the Lord, Adonai. This refers to the coming of Messiah. And it's really important to, to look at your own English translation. Many say the coming of the great and the terrible day of the Lord, terrible as if it's like dreadful, but it's awe-inspiring. The coming of Messiah inspires the fear of the Lord, which is awe. And this this Shabbat today is a day in which uh, this prophetic passage about Israel's Messiah is read and contemplated in every kind of synagogue all over the world. This is a time to say, oh God, thank you for Messiah. Oh Lord, we, we are yearning for Messiah. And the prophet says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. You see, the work of Messiah brings a two-way restoration of hearts within our families, parents to children and children to parents. And so this is an indication of how important mishpocha, family, is to God. And it's one of the reasons why we think of ourselves as a mishpocha. And more than anything, we want to be uh, those people who recognize that the Lord is our Father and that we are his children and that together we're a mishpocha. Well, I want to move to another passage, which is a related reading to the Torah portion in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at a new covenantal passage that, like the Torah portion, speaks about tzara'at, uh, often translated leprosy, sometimes pronounced tzara'at, 
or Sana'at. There are several different pronunciations of it. Uh, Sana'at or Sana'at is often thought of as leprosy, but it was understood to be a spiritual issue, often associated with evil speech, Lashon Hara, and it required spiritual ministry. And so this passage in Matthew 8 makes a connection to to all of that. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you always to have your Bibles with you, even if it means bringing your Bible, a paper Bible, or if it means bringing your digital Bible on your phone or your electronic device or whatever, it's good to have the Word of God accessible to you as you're studying. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 says, After Yeshua had come down from the hill, large crowds followed him. And then a man afflicted with tzedat came and kneeled down in front of him and said, Sir, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Yeshua reached out his hand, he touched him, and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. He touched him, and this is interesting uh, because it's, it's a powerful moment of connection. And at once, the man was cleansed from tzarat, and then Yeshua said to him, see that you tell no one, but as a testimony to the people, go and let the Kohen, the, the priest, examine you and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded. And so you can find out about that whole process by reading the Torah portion yourself this week and last week's Torah portion, and they give you some guidance about what was necessary for the sacrifice and so forth. In a sense, this is a sacrifice that is a thanksgiving sacrifice to the Lord because the man is already cleansed, as you see. Now let's go to the next verse and in the next passage here. Verse 5, as Yeshua entered Capernaum, or Kfar Nachum, the village of comfort, a Roman army officer, and take note of that, a Roman army officer came up and pleaded for help. Sir, my orderly is lying at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Yeshua said, I'll go and heal him. But the officer answered, sir, I'm unfit to have you come into my home. Maybe that was because of the recognition as a Gentile that Yeshua, the Jew, should not go into his house, or because of the fact that he was a Roman army officer and there was conflict. The Roman armies was occupying uh, the land of Israel. And many, many Jewish people were ready to fight them off. And, and so a, an officer like this might at first glance be considered to be part of the enemy of the Jewish people, as, as you could understand. The officer answered, sir, I'm unfit to have you come into my home. Rather, if you will only give the command, my orderly will recover. If you will only give the command, my orderly will recover. For I too am a man under authority. He's connecting with his own personal experience in the military, in the Roman military. And he says, I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. 
and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. In other words, it only takes a word. He only needs to give a word. He knows that as a man who is under authority. And so he's saying, I know, Yeshua, you could just do it with a word. You could speak, and it would happen. Verse 10, on hearing this, Yeshua was amazed and said to the people following him, yes, which I think in modern English at this particular time may have been better expressed by Yeshua going, whoa, wow. I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith, with such trust. Moreover, I'll tell you that many will come from the east and from the west to take their places at the feast in the kingdom of heaven with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So that's a very interesting response. It's, it's a provocative response. We'll explore that. The kingdom of heaven here is referring to um, the eternal place of heaven. And the feast in the kingdom of heaven, Yeshua says, includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which I think is important for us to think about. God's salvation has such power. It touches those who lived before the time of Yeshua and impacts those who lived by faith. They lived by trusting God and they had an active personal relationship with God himself, the revelation that God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and the salvation of God were working together. But that revelation of God was, was so amazing because the patriarchs were trusting the same Lord who we trust today. We know Yeshua and his life on earth and the history that we can read about in the British Hadashah, but they experienced the presence of God in a, I'm going to say, in a um, physical sense. The revelation of Yeshua, that God can come down from the spiritual world and enter into the time-space world that we live in. That was an important revelation that was being revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now is being more fully revealed. And so Yeshua is, is telling us something that I think is really, really useful, that helps us understand that he's been at work for a long time. Now, some people misunderstand this to mean that that today believers in Messiah should not proclaim the gospel of Yeshua, the good news of Yeshua to Jewish people. I think that's a hundred percent erroneous conclusion. I'm not even 99 percent, 100 percent wrong because the good news of Yeshua is valuable to every kind of person, including Jewish people, including people who were raised in uh, any kind of household where faith in God or trust in God or uh, religious observance might take place. Each person needs to hear the good news and take that good news for themselves. And so I can say as a Jew who 
believes that and knows that Yeshua is the Messiah, who trusts in the Lord and has a trusting relationship with Yeshua, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the Holy Spirit, one God who reveals himself in these very different but personal ways, but one God. I can tell you, I'm grateful that I heard the good news. And every Messianic Jew can say the same thing. Now, I had some hard experiences, that's true, because of um, people, I'm not sure they were well-intended, but their idea was not to bring the good news, but to bring the bad news. And basically to tell me that I was going to hell because I was a Jew and because Jews killed Christ and you know such things. Paul Paul teaches that the Gentiles can provoke Jewish people to jealousy. But when I heard things like that, it didn't provoke me to jealousy. It just provoked me and made me want to say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And that type of um, approach can actually create walls in people or increase resistance, not only for Jewish people, but for anybody. We have to learn how to bring good news to people, how to tell them the truth, and how to help them receive the good news of Messiah Yeshua. Verse 12, those born for the kingdom will be thrown outside in the dark where people will wail and grind their teeth. So some people who were actually, we'll say, some who were born into Jewish families, and we can extend that today and say some who were born into households of faith will not actually come into that living relationship themselves. They'll have religious uh, experience and context to their lives, but they will not have dealt with the fact that every one of us needs to put our trust in God by turning away from sin, turning away from everything that that separates us from God, and coming wholeheartedly with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, with everything that we have, all of our resources, bringing ourselves to God because we're ready to and we have a heart to do that. Back to verse 13, Yeshua said to the officer, go, let it be for you as you have believed or as you have trusted And his orderly was healed at that very moment. Now, this morning, I was thinking about this particular passage in a different way than I was thinking earlier as I was uh, reading and studying. And I was asking the question, I wonder what the different reactions would have been to people who were around Yeshua in those days. And my first thought is, I wonder how some of the zealots, the Jewish zealots, would have reacted to this. And the the zealots were a Jewish movement who thought that one of the most important things about Jewish life is to have governing authority over the land of Israel. And so they were ready to throw out the the Romans and the Roman army and the Roman system. They were ready to go to war. In a sense, they thought as the Maccabees had thought, but they believed in uh, armed resistance as the solution. And they thought that the ultimate, the most important victory required this. And so I was thinking about them. 
And I thought, wow, this must have been really hard for them to to see that Yeshua was reaching out with the love of God and the mercy of God and the healing power of God to a Roman army officer. Imagine, imagine if you were of that mindset, how it may cause you to be suspicious of Yeshua. That's one possible reaction. There's another kind of reaction that would be possible for a zealot. A zealot might say, maybe I don't understand everything. And maybe what my um, co-partisans think, those who are part of uh, the zealot movement think, maybe that's not exactly right. And can you imagine some of those zealots saying that? It, the the zealots, I think, had such strong reactions about these things. It would be a great challenge, but the scripture teaches us that many who were zealots came to believe in Yeshua. And the scriptures teach us that in the, in the early Messianic congregation, in the first congregations, there were all kinds of, of Jews. There were there were zealots, there were Pharisees, there were Essenes, there were Sadducees, and yet really they lived at a time, we could call it a cancel culture time, just like we're living in now, where people who um, don't agree with the, the paradigm or the values or the whatever of, of others feel like they don't even want to be with each other. But in the Messianic movement in the first generation, they were brought together. And this required something, that that a zealot had to look at a Pharisee differently, without, without hubris, without an air of arrogance and superiority about his understanding or condescension towards that person, but to say that person is a valuable person. And that person is worth something to God. So now they're worth something to me too. They had to recognize this in each other. It's very challenging. So I want you to understand that there were many times that Yeshua reached outside of the boundaries of what was acceptable to those around him. And he did some things that that provoked reconsideration. Like what do I need to be uh, more open about? It, it, it's, I think, such a useful thing to contemplate. I'm going to be thinking about that um, during this coming week as well. Let's move forward in the text. Verse 14, it says, Next, Yeshua went to Kepha's home, and there saw Kepha. Kepha is Simon Peter, Shimon. He saw Kepha's mother-in-law, which means his wife's mother, which is interesting because it confirms that the Kepha was married. His wife's mother, she was sick in bed with a fever and Yeshua touched her hand, the fever left her and she got up and she began helping him. I think that's just fascinating. These kinds of interactions, Yeshua is uh, 
always doing things that can be challenging if you imagine yourself being right there uh, with him and watching him and just observing what he's doing. Verse 16, when evening came, many people who were held in the power of demons were brought to him. And Yeshua expelled those spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. I think this could be understood uh, several different ways. One is that uh, the people who he was ministering to had both uh, demons and some kind of sickness that was caused by those demons, but not necessarily. It could be that some were like that who had both issues. Some just had um, a spirit that needed to be cast out or many spirits. And some were just sick in a medical sense and a physical sense and needed to be healed. Um, it, it could be all three of those versions, but why? Why was this done? Verse 17 tells us this was done to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah, Yeshiao. And this is in um, Matthew, a citation from Isaiah 53, verse 4, which says the Messiah that he himself took our weaknesses and he bore our diseases. Now, here's why it's particularly interesting. This is before... Yeshua was crucified. Many people recognize that the crucifixion of Yeshua was important because he became a substitute for us. He became the sacrifice that atones for our sins. God gave up his life, his physical life, as uh, the human body's life that, that he was uh, in Yeshua. He gave up that body as a sacrifice for you and for me as an atoning sacrifice. But this that we're reading about this morning is taking place before the crucifixion. And so we see something about the power of God and how um, Yeshua was healing. He was delivering, he was rescuing, he was saving people all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in, uh, and here at this moment before the crucifixion and now long after the crucifixion, it really helps us understand that God's ability to um, reach through time and space, his eternal capacity to transcend time, to reach back into the past, our past, to reach forward into the future, including our future, and to bring redemption and restoration, healing and transformation. It does, the scripture says God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He can turn even uh, the, the worst of things that we've experienced into something that not itself is good, but works for good, because he's always looking out to do good for, uh, for us. And Messiah, according to Isaiah 53, took the penalties as well as the, the, the human vulnerabilities and the, the sickness and the disease. He took that upon himself. He experienced the agony of it all. He came down from heaven to save and to rescue. He took on human form, a human body to become our kinsman redeemer. He became like us. He became one of us so that we could become more 
like him and one of his. He revealed his mercy and his love. And I want to encourage you as you're reading this uh, passage from Matthew on your own and contemplating it, remember this, we cannot put God in a box. There's a lot about the Lord that we can know for him and be absolutely certain. But we can't box him in. We can't be his boss. He's sovereign. We submit to him and he will do things according to his own sovereign will. And if he wants to to cross social boundaries as he did, uh, as we just read about in this passage, he's capable of doing that and he has the right to do it. It's a mistake to think we can tell God what to do and that we can rule over his sovereign authority. Moving on. There was a Jewish tradition that Messiah would be a leper, and that's because of some of the details in Isaiah 53 that describe Messiah as, as being um, not handsome or comely or attractive, but actually uh, someone whose appearance caused us to, to pull back from him. And, and there are some who, who would say that when Messiah comes, he'll be a leper. He'll have tzarat. And there was another tradition that Messiah would heal lepers. And so I, I want to connect to that second tradition. When the disciples of John the Baptist, who wasn't a Baptist, of course, he was a Jew. When the disciples of John came to Yeshua to find out if he was Messiah, um, he gave a very interesting answer. We can read about this in Luke 7, 22. And those of you who are watching on Facebook Live now on home, if, if you can type into the comment section, Luke 7, 22, um, that'll be useful so that others can find this. It, it says this, Yeshua replied to the messengers from uh, John, go back and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You see, this connects with Isaiah 53. He himself took our weaknesses, he bore our diseases, but it connects also with the healing of the lepers, and it connects with the whole process that's described in the Torah portion this week and last week about healing. So it, to me, it's very interesting to see those connections. Yeshua points to this understanding that had developed in the Jewish world and says, look at what you see and what you hear, because that will tell you, look at these things and that will give the evidence to you that you need to know. Let's all, let's all keep our eyes fixed on Yeshua. Let's keep learning how we can be more and more like him. Let's learn to serve him in ways that bring his light and his goodness into this broken world. Let's not accept the world's divisions into our lives. Let's reject that type of divisiveness. Let's reject Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara. Let's reject evil talk. Let's reject gossip. Let's reject the kinds of things that the world uses 
to divide and to create walls. Let's reject all that. It's part of the Passover goal, I believe. As we're getting rid of chametz in our houses, we want to get rid of chametz in our souls and in our lives, to get rid of the leaven of sin and the erroneous teachings that can corrupt. That's a kind of leaven as well. And the kinds of things that mislead us and misguide us and cause us to veer away from the authentic life of faith that God has called us to. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you are compassionate and merciful, and you've been compassionate and merciful to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us grow in compassion, help us grow in mercy, help us grow in sympathy and empathy, in all these qualities that you have, so that our service will reveal your goodness. Now, in a moment, we're going to be closing with Aaron's blessing. But first, I want to speak to everyone who is is blessed by Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue, by our live stream, by our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast, by our sanctuary services, um, by the congregation. If, if you are blessed by our ministries to you, would you consider blessing our ministry and standing shoulder to shoulder with us financially? All the information about how you can do that is on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. So let's close now with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navilecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai p'navilecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you, guard you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you with all of his favor. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So from Sandy and me and the entire Beth Israel team, thanks for joining us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.